Hi, my name is Dawn Long. I started this podcast to share not only my story, but to share others' untold stories, to share the truth and journey of healing, so I can show you that it is safe to do the same. We are transforming and healing together. This show is about the heart-centered transformation for you, for me, and the world. This is the Your Transformation Journey show, and this is our journey together. Let's begin. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Your Transformation Journey podcast with our guest today, Paula Jean Farah, and she is an author who is obsessed with stories. Using her understanding of stories, she has written and rewritten the story of her life to use life's experiences to her advantage. She now helps others write and publish their own stories. So, Paula, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You are welcome. So, what got you started writing stories? Uh, The fact that I was always a really big reader when I was, um, I think I was like three years old when I started pulling books off the shelves thinking I could actually read. Um, And um, I I was the kid that was grounded from books for an entire summer when I was in middle school. My parents got really concerned about the level that I was reading because I'm kind of an obsessive reader. (laughs) Um, When I was about 10, I said, I want to be an author. I want to write stories. And my parents were very supportive, but also very realistic coming from a blue collar background. They said, you know, it's not very steady, stable income. You should go to college and get a good steady job, Um, which I did. But in college, I had some really awesome experiences. I wrote a a senior research paper that my professors were very supportive of and said, hey, you should really get this published. Um, College papers are really hard to publish. Um, and being the bookworm that I was, I said, no, I'm just going to expand it into a book and publish a book. So I did. <laughs> um, it took several years, but I finally uh, was able to turn it into a uh, a book. And then I got addicted and have been doing it ever since. <laughs> so what was the name of the book that you first published? My first book is called Awkwardly Strong. Um mm-hmm. It was, it started out as a college paper on how Tourette syndrome affects communication, uh, but then expanded into a self-help book based on some of the really cool stuff that I learned. I myself have Tourette syndrome. So if I scream or gasp, that's why. (laughs) Um, But I learned so much that was just so validating to me who always just kind of considered myself like a weird kid and always doing weird stuff. Um, but understanding the world around me in a completely different level and recognizing how much control I really have, even though I'm not always in control of what my body does. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that you took what you're, what you were faced with and turned it into something. Okay. I'm going to help people with that. And I know there was a few children that I grew up with along the way that had Tourette's and, you know, it's one of those things that you just, as a kid, you get used to because you don't think nothing of it because you grow up around it, especially if you have friends that have it. 
So what were some of the challenges that you probably faced growing up having Tourette's? So I actually started when I was like 17. So I didn't run into near as much trouble as a lot of people did. But that's also what gave me a different perspective that I felt allowed me to write about it. As a kid, I wasn't told stop being so disruptive and stop being such a bad kid, which a lot of people with Tourette's really are told yeah. that uh, before they actually get a diagnosis. And even then they're a difficult child, um, you know, and there's all of this other stuff. I never had any of that. I was a normal kid. To me, it started out with noises that sounded like hiccups. So I just thought I had like a chronic case of the hiccups for several years uh, before they started to change. And I'm like, okay, these are definitely not hiccups. <laughs> um, and then I got a diagnosis when I was 24 years old. Um, and I was still actually in college. And that's kind of what prompted this senior research paper on Tourette's and how it affects communication, which was my major. Um other than that, I think the only real big issue was before I had a diagnosis, um, I was kicked out of a college program. I was told I couldn't be placed in an internship, uh, which essentially meant I couldn't graduate. Um, ended up failing all of my classes, uh, but that's actually what led to a diagnosis. My college had a really good policy in place where if you fail all of your classes before you register again, you're required to see the school psychologist to make sure, you know, find out what's going on in life, make sure it doesn't happen again um, to better provide for my success. And in seeing the school psychologist, that's when I was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. Oh, wow. So it took, it took you failing all of your classes before they yeah. realized what was going on. That's <laughs> right. insane. But right. I'm glad Despite that they got it. And yeah. he knew what it was instead sure. of dragging you through the mud because that's one of the things that I've heard from numerous women. And it doesn't, I'm not going to say it doesn't affect men as much as far as getting diagnosed. But when you're a female and you go to the doctor, most of the time they'll tell you it's in your head before they'll do anything There's a gap for sure. There's a definite gap for sure. And I had been to several different doctors. Um, but I was told things like, well, okay, do one for me. And I'm like, I can't control it. I can't just do something that I'm not in control of. And they said, well, then I can't treat you if I don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, well, great. I don't know either. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Um, <sighs> I had one doctor say, well, something has to be spasming. So we tried muscle relaxant, which did not work. Um, I still made noises. Um, you know, I, I heard several different things, but, but nothing, um, I had one doctor say it's possibly Tourette syndrome, but we'd have to do a large number of neurological tests to be sure. And I'm like, that's silly. There's no cure for Tourette's. Like, why would I spend all of this money to, to have these tests done for like literally no reason? I didn't, I didn't see a connection, um, because I knew that I, didn't need medication. I'm not medicated for my Tourette's because I do have a very mild case. Yeah. Um, but I found it very interesting that the psychologist was able to pull out the DSM, which lists every disorder and uh, symptoms. And I checked all four boxes. Like that's really all it took um, was looking at this DSM, which you could probably find in most libraries. <laughs> Holy um, cow. 
rather than spending thousands of dollars on neurological tests. And I'm like, no, that's silly. I don't want to do that. So your, I mean, your tip of the day, go look, <laughs> go look stuff up. We're not telling you, we're not medical advice. So we're not telling you that, but go look right. stuff up. You might find something interesting to take to your right? doctor. <laughs> I mean, if it's not something that you want the, the follow through, um, if I wanted medication, then yeah, that probably would have been a better route for me to take. But where I I'm mild enough and I, I'm able to live life day to day without medication. That makes a difference for sure. Um, so that was simply the best choice for me. Um, but I was able in getting a diet, an official diagnosis from the school psychologist, able to get various assists in college. Um, I had major panic attacks and anxiety when trying to go into a testing center where we're not allowed to talk. And wow. I'm suddenly just like screaming <laughs> Um, you know, and I'd walked out of many, many tests until I learned, oh, hey, you mean because I have Tourette's, I can have this like special little room all to myself where I can make as much noise as I want? This is fabulous. Um, I just had to schedule it in advance to make sure no one else that needed the room was in it. Um, so I mean, there's there's a lot of benefits to having a diagnosis that I wasn't aware of, which is one thing. Um, but for something that is neurological. A psychologist is a doctor and it's an official diagnosis. <laughs> That's, I'm so glad that you got that and that now you know what you have and you're not having to continuously wonder what in the world is wrong. Yeah, for sure. Helps a lot. <laughs> Definitely. So that goes along with rewriting the story of your life. So let's dive into that a little bit because you are a writer, you are an author. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about rewriting our stories. So how did you rewrite yours and how do you help people rewrite theirs? So one of the big things was, again, doing that research in that college paper, um, because I say my my major was communications, but it was actually more like a sociology degree where I studied people and why we do the things that we do. And I studied culture and culture is basically a bunch of man-made rules to help us communicate more effectively. We don't talk about these rules. If we do, it's because they're so well-known that they make it into comedy sketches. Uh, things like not asking a woman her age or her weight. Um, that's expanding for sure, but in some cultures, that's not inappropriate. Um, that's, that's very much a cultural thing. But understanding also that all of these rules are man-made and we get to change those if they don't serve us. Like there's 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 not going to be any terrible consequences. You're not going to go to jail. You're not. And it was just so liberating to recognize that man made these rules. Man can change these rules, um, especially understanding what awkward moments are. Because all an awkward moment really is, is a time where we either don't know the rule or a rule doesn't exist. Yeah. So between those two, that actually gives us a lot of flexibility to write the rules. Um, because I have a tendency to scream in the middle of church or bark during business meetings. Um, and I do all of these weird, crazy things. Most people are like, oh, no. What's the rule for this? I don't know what to do or how to respond. I know what's going on and I get to create those rules. I get to explain this is what's happening. 
this is what I would like for you to do in response if if you want to respond at all because I don't I'm super flexible with it. I mean, different people are going to want different things. You know, yeah. just because I'm willing to talk about my Tourette syndrome doesn't mean someone else is. Um, you know, and I'm much more willing to joke and laugh about it. But again, I've got a mild case. Mine is very vocal and very fun to deal with. Um, I get a lot of laughs out of my Tourette syndrome, whereas someone who has, you know, something more physical and, and, um, and, and struggles with it more might not see a reason for laughing and they might prefer your understanding instead of a laugh. You know, like I can't say this is how you pe- pe- treat, people with, treat people with Tourette syndrome, but I can write that story for myself and say, this is what's going on. I get to, and, and then expanding that into other areas of my life. Basically all I'm doing at that point is creating boundaries And so if we create boundaries in any aspect of our life, hey, I don't want to work weekends. I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. Hey, this is not something that is going to work for me. Hey, this is what I want you to do. Uh, When we're willing to speak up and advocate in our own behalf, it's amazing how much we can really transform our lives. And so basically all I do is talk about it and share my story, but because everyone's journey is so different and so specific to them, um, my biggest thing is sharing, hey, you know those rules you're following? They're not necessary (laughs) because we have these these ingrained belief systems um, that we've just been taught and we don't question. And sometimes we do need to question them. Or sometimes uh, if we look at the world around us in general, there's so much more anxiety and so much more awkwardness because the world is changing and there's so much that we just don't have rules for. What's the rules when we're on a Zoom meeting? What's the rules when we're dealing with a global society instead of something that's small and localized? Um, So we're, we're actually in a huge period of transforming culture. And so the more that we really understand culture and our role within it, we can update and upgrade our belief systems and and set our own boundaries. So we have the culture that's around like me, myself, those are my boundaries. Those are my rules. Um, and for the most part, they may be unspoken, but my my big thing is wanting to speak up your rules, like speak your boundaries, uh, because you can't just assume at this stage in life that people are going to know, especially if you're changing those boundaries. You say, look, I know this is what I've done before, but I'm not a fan and I want to make changes in my life. You can either change with me or you can exit my life. There's 7 billion people on the planet. You don't have to have every single person with you if they're not going to follow your rules. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, especially when you talk about, you know, how do you (laughs) treat Zoom? Um, You Mm -hmm. got in, especially in podcasting, because Mm -hmm. now it is so global. I've had Mm -hmm. international guests on that were from Australia, from New Zealand, um, Mm -hmm. from England. 
Um, let's see. I think I had one from Jamaica. So, I mean, wow. we have people from everywhere and you're right. You can't assume anymore because mm -hmm. it is so global. It is so widespread and it's easier for me if people tell me what they like or what they don't like mm -hmm. or what they're cool with, what they're not cool with. So that I'm not right. guessing because I will tell people, I said, I'm a very direct, straightforward person. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I tell a lot of people, if you don't like somebody that's straightforward, <laughs> you're probably not going to like me very much because <laughs> I've learned how to filter, but that doesn't mean that I still don't speak my truth mm -hmm. i might do it a little bit more tactfully but it's still it's still going to be a straightforward conversation so mm -hmm. uh, that's one of those things that i warn people about i'm going like <laughs> I, I, i'm not your unicorns and roses kind of person so if you're looking for that <laughs> not so much <laughs> that's awesome and, i love it yeah and you're right about some of the roles when you were talking about that I, for whatever reason it just kept popping in my head when I was growing up, I remember the rule. You could not wear white shoes before Easter. And you better not be caught wearing them after Labor Day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going like, who made these rules? I mean, who cares? <laughs> and once I realized that, I just started wearing colors whenever I wanted to. Because I'm going like, who cares? Right. Literally, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So when when we're writing these stories, mm -hmm. one of my things because I'm in the middle of writing my book, I need to pick it back up because I put it I put it down and and I really need to get back into it mm -hmm. because when we're writing that story, I find the stuff, especially if you're writing nonfiction, that is very it's very transformative in yourself because you're having to yes. go back and you're having to think and think about some of the things from the past. And mm -hmm. so what do you say to clients when they do start writing? Because I think for some, it'll probably bring up stuff that they're probably felt that they dealt with and mm -hmm. they still need to deal with. And again, it's going to be different for every person. Like I don't claim to be any kind of life coach or a therapist. Um, what I mostly do is help people write their physical books, which yes, it's especially the nonfiction, but even with fiction, um, if you want to have any kind of depth in your characters or character progression um, and you're, it's going to be something that you know and something that you've experienced. Um, I'm writing my first fiction piece right now. Um, where the main character is actually a real woman who lived. Uh, she was the first woman recorded um, and studied in what later became Tourette syndrome. Um, so, you know, as I'm looking at her life and I'm researching her life, um, I'm trying to, I, I get to fill in the gaps, which is super fun, but because it's real, um, you know, I'm looking at the fact that she lost a sister when she was 19 and I have also recently lost a sibling. And so it's very emotional trying to process my own emotions, but it helps enhance and bring a level of depth to this character and what that did for her story. Um, it's super fascinating and it's, it is hard um, and everyone's going to be different for me. 
I'm a big journaler. I want to write things out. I want to, you know, that's how I process things. For some people, that's going to be a therapist. For some people, that's going to be, um, you know, taking more walks out in nature. For some people, that's going to be, you know, whatever works best for you. Again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a life coach. I'm not... <laughs> um, I don't want to be responsible in case I like destroy someone's life. <laughs> I seriously doubt it. But you're, you're good. Um, you know, so when you're writing a story, like, yeah, you do need to take that time and, and really explore that depth. But that depth, um, while difficult, is going to bring you a better story, whether it's the the nonfiction or the fiction kind. I mean, both technically are stories, um, you know, and, and with books, um, but they, it's, it is necessary and it's so hard. Um, yeah. So I say, find what works for you to, to process all of that. <laughs> um, you can find somebody like me to help you process yes. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're right. And that's one reason I'll bring it up is because I also have um, I have a really good friend that's in the middle of writing her book and it's about some of the things that she went through growing up. Mm -hmm. And I talked to her about that because she does go through those emotions when she's talking about writing the past. And she is one of those, she has to have pen and paper when she writes. She does not believe in doing it on a laptop, <laughs> give her paper and a pen and she's happy. Mm -hmm. But you know, we talked through that, talking about through the emotions, because when you are writing, it does bring that death. It does bring yeah, it that does. realness to it, because when that person's reading your book, there is a story that you want to impart. There's something, there's a reason why you're writing mm -hmm. and there's information that you're really wanting to get out there to that person that's mm -hmm. going to be reading your book, be it nonfiction or fiction. Um, I think it's James Rollins, if I remember right, that writes fiction, but he has a web of truth tied in mm -hmm. to his fiction writings. And at the end of his book, he will go through and he'll say fact or fiction. Okay. And a lot of what he writes about is fact. He just makes mm -hmm. it into a more story that is you know pulls that reader in mm -hmm. and I think for those of us that write the nonfiction, is you're still pulling that reader in with your story mm -hmm. with what ties in with what you're writing um, because the book that I'm writing I already have a title for it and it's going to be gifts from the heart mm -hmm. the reason why is because people at the end of the day, you have so much to offer. And mm -hmm. when you're dealing with either physical abuse or emotional abuse, whatever it is that you're going through in your life, that you have that story to tell. Mm -hmm. And there's somebody out there that needs to hear that story, whether you write it or whether you tell it, because back in the day before the written word, we were storytellers in an oral sense. And now we have the written word to where it's there for eternity. And you're giving that person that moment of saying, okay, I've been through this. This person has been through this. 
they survived. And mm-hmm. I think that is what I'm seeing a lot of people are starting to do that are bringing out their stories because now is the time to, if you ever wanted to write a book, now's the time so to do easy. it because yeah. it's so easy. Now you yeah. can literally write a book, put it on Amazon and there you go. You don't even right. have to do the hardback, softback, none of that. You can literally do an ebook and there you go. Mm-hmm. So it's so easy to put something out there. And I think for me, that's what I want to get to cross to people is when they find people like you that publish their stories and write is take advantage of people that have been down that road. Take mm-hmm. advantage of what they have done and reach out and talk to them because there is a wealth of information that people like you have that can help the first time author and say, Oh, okay. You know, because I think a lot of people find it overwhelming. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And and there's definitely a lot to it. When I published my first book, um, I tend to have a, in a china shop approach to life in general and that's a lot thanks to this i get to write all my own rules i'm gonna do what i want okay that rule is important okay this is something i should know um so like my first book as much as i love 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 my first content and my book and uh, with that first first book i wrote that one um i'm kind of embarrassed by it sometimes because i'm like oh interior design of a book is a thing Oh, oh, I shouldn't take the free ISBN. Oh, like the longer I do this, the more I learn about putting out a quality product. Like it is so easy to publish a book, but I learned so much about what what people look for um, and, and what makes it easier for people to understand. I mean, you can't just write one massive long paragraph um, because people's attention spans aren't that long. You know, you have to like break things up. Like if I'm doing a social media post, each paragraph is probably just one sentence, which I know is like horrific to English majors because that's not what a paragraph is. Yeah. But it's like, ah. to read because, because <laughs> it's also the medium. I mean, yeah. if you're going to be on social media, you don't have that long, you know, so mm-hmm. it has to be short. It has to be quick. Um, you can do it a little more traditionally in a book. You can write longer paragraphs, um, but still looking at at that formatting and how it's all designed and laid out. I'm just like, oh, that's a thing. Oops. <laughs> and that's some of the things that I'm trying to pay attention to when I read other people's books. And I've gotten, yeah. gotten quite a few. I actually, a, a dear friend sent this to me and mm-hmm. it's called um, Tree, yeah, The Tree yeah, of Life. Mm-hmm. And the way that they done it is so simple and so easy to read. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of things, as I'm reading a book, I'm trying to take notes on on how they have it situated, how it is laid out. You know, all of that. Margins. Watch your margins. That was another thing, too. (laughs) Yes. And I'm going like, okay, and figuring out what size that you Mm -hmm. want your book to be, especially if you put it in paperback, because I didn't realize there were so many different sizes. I was going like, right. Holy (laughs) cow. What's up with this? 
And mm -hmm. so it's those things like that because, and then I really wish I had Christine's book in here, but I got it in my bedroom, but hers is called Popsicle Toes and her cover it, believe it or not, is a picture of her of her actual feet and toes in sand, and not in sand, in snow. Mm. And I was going like that interested me because that cover caught me. I didn't even read mm -hmm. the words; I just saw the picture. Mm -hmm. And then I read the words. Right. That's so, why I hire yeah. a cover designer because that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I'm going like. And I think that's what has got me froze a little bit because I'm calling like, this is going to get expensive. And this is something I don't have the funds for right now. <laughs> it can, especially if you're going to be putting out a, a high quality product. Like I usually will hire editors for several rounds of editing, which editing alone can get kind of pricey. Um, my formatters, I, I get a pretty good deal, um, possibly because I'm a repeat customer. <laughs> <laughs> and they know that. Um, but they're also very fast and efficient at what they do. Like they know what they're doing and they do it time based. And because uh, my books so far have been a little bit shorter and and fairly straightforward, they don't take a lot of time. Um, so formatting, yes, ads, but not terribly. Um, book cover design, worth the splurge because that's probably what you're going to get the biggest return on. Because even if no one actually reads your book, um, which is a shame. Like we want people to read the book. We want it to be enticing and, and draw them in. Um, but the first thing they see is going to be that cover. So you really, really want to make sure that you're paying for a quality designer um, and not just, yeah, I took this photo on my iPhone. I think it's great. <laughs> or, hey, I drew this myself. Um, because it's not always going to be what an audience is looking for. I've seen, I've, the more that I get into this field, the more I work with other authors and um, and see what their favorite covers were out of several designs that you went from, but what their audience more went for and how different they are. Um, yeah. Because you want something, and, and this is actually something that I thought of earlier as well with stories in general. Um, but everything that we do in life is really about connection. We just want to connect with other people. We want to connect with their stories. That's why we have to go through the hard stuff and get that depth. That's why we want to connect with people visually uh, through a good cover design. We want to be able to connect with, with the words that we say and basically all that we do. I mean, we want to feel a lot of people want to publish books just for the validation in a way. You know, like this was an important story to me and I want others to feel valid, you know, whether it's validation for them or validation for others, like people need to feel validated and connect and, and recognize that they're not alone in this world of 7 billion people, yeah. um, you know, especially in a world where it's so easy to feel lost in a world of, of social media, of, yeah. of understanding how big and complex the world really is. Like we just want connection and, and the stories that we tell, the stories that we see again through cover design um, are, are a big part of how we do that. Definitely. So as we wrap up, I always ask my guest, what is one last nugget that you can give our listeners and our viewers? And this is always like my favorite part too, because sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I was thinking of this and didn't get a chance to say it. Um, 
but I feel like that's kind of what I just did. Yeah, I was thinking about this part and I want to bring it back to that. Um, I think a big thing for me, again, where I didn't necessarily feel very in control of a lot of things in my life, I didn't feel life happens. And so sometimes it's all we can do to just react and keep up. But sometimes all it really takes is for us to say, no, stop. I need to take a moment and then proactively make our choices to recognize how much control we really can have. We don't necessarily control what happens. I mean, I would definitely rather not have lost my brother, like I mentioned. Um, But it is something that I can utilize to help others through the stories that I write. Like I mentioned with that story. that fiction piece that I'm writing, I'm able to connect with other people who have to grieve the loss of a sibling way too young. Um, And I can't necessarily control that, that I lost him, but I can control what I do from this point out, which is kind of one of the great things about grief. I mean, there's not really much great about grief. It's hard. It sucks. (laughs) I'm sorry for anyone who has to go through it. Um, But the thing about grief is it does allow a moment to pause, you know, jobs are usually going to say, yes, take a day off. We understand that you're not emotionally in a good place right now. Um, and, and it allows you that time. If you're willing to face it, most people will turn to distraction instead. Um, but if we, if we're willing to face things rather than allow ourselves to be distracted, we, we can recognize how much control we really do have in our lives. Yeah. Definitely. And you're right is when you lose somebody in your family and especially a sibling, it is hard. And it's, it's, you have to, there are so many stages of grief. And I think if I could help anybody in that area is when we get to that point to where we can smile when we hear a song and they are talking to us. They let us know that they're fine and that they're okay. And it is hard for us because we physically can't touch them. And they're going like, it's okay. And I've had many incidents of when I've had family members, you know, leave us and transition to the other side. And, you know, they like to leave little, little things, little presents. And, is I think that's the thing that gets me through a lot of my days sometimes when it is those harder days because just this year I've really been thinking about my dad and my mom because I've lost both of them and it's and they're going like I'm I'm fine I'm okay even even on the hard days so it's just like we have to take that moment and breathe and remember the good memories and you know take that time but also take that time to grieve and to really do face that. Cause you're right. You can't bottle that up mm-hmm. for sure. All right, Paula, I absolutely love our conversation cause it has been a really good one. And for anybody that's sitting there thinking about writing your story, I highly recommend that you do. And yes. You can find Jessica. I know I have her website scrolling down at the bottom. Where else can they also find you? It's funny you mentioned that because I didn't see that before we started. That's uh, just one of my 
medium.com is kind of more like a social media for writers in a way. <laughs> um, but I have a website, paulajeanferry.com. Um, that's going to be where you can find just about anything else that I'm doing. You can find links to my books, uh, writing retreats that I host. Um, I've got a create creating creativity course that helps people move past writer's block. Um, so I've got several, all of the things are going to kind of hub from my website. Uh, but other than that, Jess Squeaks is, is a handle that I use on all of my social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram. I have a Twitter. I don't use it very much. So I don't either. <laughs> I've got to get used to that. Yeah. Right. I've got to get used to Twitter. <laughs> uh. Oh, well, Paula, it has been awesome. So for those of you that know me and have listened to my show, you know what I'm fixing to do. So whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are loved, you're unstoppable, and you are the beacon of hope. Everyone have a good night, and we will see you back here on Monday. And get ready for Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to our podcast. To support the podcast, join our Patreon account through Podbean at Your Transformation Journey. Or if you like this episode, send us a review through iTunes and follow us on Podbean. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and also at my website at www.donglongcoach.com. Remember, you are unstoppable. Thank you.